1: Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. I hope you'll give them a call. Check out the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have great guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, as we usually do and always do, actually, on Monday mornings. We'll be talking about up-to-the-minute, current global events, uh, especially we we talk about the Ukraine and what's happening in the Olympics. We'll also visit with Larry Reed, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau chief and author. He's written several books since his retirement. His latest two are... Uh, follow the leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, two great murder mysteries located in Washington, D.C. It is February the 7th, and on this day in 1881, Albert McKenzie pled guilty to a misdemeanor count of embezzlement in Alameda Cal- uh, County, California. He originally had been charged with a felony for taking $52.50 from a sewing machine company for which he worked. However, rather than go to trial, the prosecution and defendant agreed to a plea bargain a practice that was becoming increasingly common in the American courts. The right to a trial by jury was considered a central part of the justice system in the early days of the United States. The Seventh Amendment of the Bill of Rights codified it as an essential part of American civil liberties. When criminals were caught in charge, the government went through a trial and verdict. But the 1800s, a trend towards plea bargaining began in Alameda County, From 1880 to 1910, nearly 10% of all defendants charged with their not guilty pleas to, or changed them, to guilty of lesser charges or pled guilty to reduced charges. Today, the plea bargain is an essential part of the criminal justice system. The great majority of charges, over 90% in many jurisdictions, are resolved through some type of plea bargain. So is this a good development? I'm not certain that it is. I'll just hold out, for example, the case of Lieutenant General Flynn, who pled uh, guilty because of threats from the prosecutors, if you recall. They said they were going to do in his son, charge him criminally if uh, he didn't plead to a, uh, a charge, and he did, and he did it to avoid family disgrace and, and problems. Point being is that uh, the heavy hand of justice sometimes can avoid justice. Unfortunately, we need to take a look at this system of plea bargains. Well, the crowdsourced GoFundMe platform said it will automatically refund what's left of the estimated ten million dollars raised for the Canadian trucker convoy protesting COVID-19 vaccine mandates, after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and others threatened to defraud uh, threatened a fraud investigation. Into the operation. The update we issued earlier enables all donors to get a refund and outlined a plan to distribute remaining funds to verified charities selected by the Freedom Convoy organizers. However, due to donor feedback, we are simplifying the process and automatically refunding donations the organization posted to Twitter early on Saturday. To simplify the process for our users, we'll be refunding all donations to the Freedom Convoy 2022 fundraiser. This refund will happen automatically. Hey, you don't need to submit a request. Donors can expect to see refunds within 7 to uh, 10 business days. Now, parenthetically, I'm aware that some people are saying, okay, uh, this is clearly fraudulent what they'd planned on doing. It's very unfortunate. And uh, so some are saying, well, we're just going to go to our banks and request a refund, which will cost uh, GoFundMe substantially, especially if all donors did that. And there were a substantial number. But uh, so the, basically they're saying, hey, we're going to refund you. Uh, don't You don't need to do anything. Please don't go to your bank. We'll send the money to you. The organization paused the distribution of some $10 million raised through donations on the site for the Canadian Freedom Convoy, an ongoing protest for more than 50,000 truckers, according to the New York Post. DeSantis joined others in calling out the platform for fraud by not allowing protest organizers to, to withdraw the money. It's a fraud for the GoFundMe to commandeer $9 million in donations sent to support truckers and give it causes of their own choosing, DeSantis said in a post Uh, uh, on Twitter. I will work with Ashley Moody. She's, of course, the Tenor General. To investigate these deceptive practices, these donors should be given a refund. And while there appears to be grassroots support for the protests, Canadian law enforcement has called it unlawful demonstrations. That, according to them. Well, that's uh, the Freedom Convoy has relaunched its crowdfund on Christian crowdfunding website, Go, Give, Send, Go, after it was unceremoniously canceled by GoFundMe. So there's another chapter of the story. Despite some attempts to, uh, and this is a DDOS, I looked it up, this is about uh, doing some sort of cyber attacks on uh, Give, Send, Go. Well, uh, to prevent the crowdfund from working, the site has managed to provide stable hosting for the crowdfund, which has now received over $2 million in donations. As detailed by Human Events host Jack Prasobik, uh donors are contributing large amounts of money to support the movement, with one donating as much as $215,000. As for GoFundMe's decision to deplatform the Freedom Convoy's multimillion-dollar fundraiser, the big tech company cited police reports of violence and other unlawful activity, despite no undocumented or no documented evidence involving the largely peaceful demonstration entered in the second week of the protests. Street crime has reportedly fallen in downtown Ottawa since the start of the Freedom Convoy. Crime has actually dropped Uh, where the demonstrators have installed themselves. GoFundMe has since been called out for providing a platform for Antifa extremists while censoring right-wing causes. Governor Ron DeSantis vowed Saturday he will work with Florida's Attorney General to investigate these deceptive practices. Video sharing alternative Rumble is now offering help to GiveSendGo, which is reportedly struggling with server problems due to the massively popular fundraiser. They're also concerned GiveSendGo is experiencing attacks, cyber attacks from cyber criminals. They'll stoop to anything, won't they, to get their way? Well, and then in addition to that, after receiving an average of 25 to 50 calls per day, Mary Simon's office received 4,600 calls on Thursday after the trucker's protest. In the wake of the trucker's uh, convoy, Canadians have been peppering the uh, Governor General's Mary Simon's office with calls to dissolve our federal government to remove Prime Minister Justin Trudeau from office in Canada, a vote of no confidence is a motion that the legislature approves, disapproves and no longer consents to the governing prime minister in the incumbent cabinet. A vote of no confidence then passes leads to, uh, to the fall of the incumbent government. If a vote of no confidence passes, the prime minister is required to submit his or her resignation to the governor general of Canada, who may either invite the leader of another coalition party to attempt to form a new government, in the House of Commons, or dissolve Parliament and call a general election. So that's how it all works. There is no mechanism in Canada for citizens to remove a sitting sitting Prime Minister for a maximum of four years. The status of a Prime Minister is subject only to the House of Commons. So they have the power here. Nevertheless, as you can see, public sentiment is really increasing in terms of uh, dissatisfaction with the Prime Minister Trudeau. By the way, I saw a story—actually, it was Tucker Carlson who said uh, that—and it's so interesting when you compare the likenesses of Fidel Castro and Prime Minister Trudeau, a lot of likeness, and apparently he uh, is—Trudeau is the love child of uh, (laughs) Castro. So interesting. Certainly, maybe he has some of the genetic makeup leading to dictatorship, unfortunately. We'll see how this all resolves, but the process continues. China's reportedly keeping coronavirus-positive Winter Olympics in unreasonable quarantine conditions. Athletes and their delegations have blasted the quarantine hotels that athletes are sent to following positive coronavirus tests. Here's one quote. My stomach hurts. I'm very pale and I have huge black circles under my eyes. I want all this to end. I cry every day. I'm very tired, said Russian athlete Valeria Vatsetnova. I practice saying this and I can't say a vast nova, sova. She complained on her Instagram account. She criticized the meals she received, which included pa- plain pasta and orange juice, charred meat on a bone, a few potatoes and no greens. According to the Associated Press, she reportedly said the meals were breakfast, lunch and dinner for five days already. While at the quarantine hotel, she uh, researched and concluded that athletes were getting worse food When fetching the food outside the door, she took a glance at the boxes left outside other rooms in her corridor, whose doors were labeled with signs to distinguish Olympians from people working at the games who tested positive. She concluded the athletes were getting worse food and underlined it was a picture of food served to her team doctor, who had tested positive with uh, living two floors below. He had fresh fruit, a salad, and prawns with broccoli. I honestly don't understand why there's this attitude to us, to the athletes, she wrote on Instagram. She will miss the Olympic Games due to her isolation. It's unclear which athletes must go to the quarantine hotels as some who test positive are still there and others are allowed to stay with their team inside the Olympic Village. Not good PR for the Chinese, the Communist Chinese Party. Lots of good bad information coming out about them. The Communist Chinese Olympics fans erupted on social media, furious that California-born skater uh, defected to China for the Games but finished in a disastrous dead last during her debut for the Chi- Team China. Yi, who uh, gave up her U.S. citizenship to become a Chinese citizen so she could compete for the Communist government's Genocide Olympics, finished with the lowest score for the entire event in Beijing on Saturday. I'm upset and embarrassed, she said. The media told said after poor performance, I can't. I counted over and over again last night how many points I need to collect today to help my team advance. I guess I felt a lot of pressure because I know everybody in China was pretty surprised with the selection for ladies singles, and I just really wanted to show them what I was able to do. But unfortunately, she said I didn't. No, she didn't. Apparently, there's other athletes, not only from the United States, but other that have joined the Chinese Olympic teams. So far, the results have not been good for the Chinese. I found this story, this is so fascinating, but uh, researchers at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology have created a new material that is strong as steel and as light as plastic. Can you imagine? According to the USA Today, the new material, a type of plastic, has twice the strength of steel, two times the strength of steel, while being only one-sixth in density. We don't usually think of plastics as being something you can use to support a building, but with this material you can enable new things Michael Strano, the Carbon P-dubs Professor of Chemical Engineering at MIT and author of the study responsible for the material said. That's just amazing results, if you can imagine that. Stronger than steel and six times lighter. Can you imagine the impact that could have on uh, aeronautics, on building, high-rises? It's just amazing. Amazing. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Shulman, founder and publisher of historycentral.com. That and more. Right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: your Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way towards keeping seniors connected in the community and with each other. Serving all of Collier County, the Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding resources and services that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers, empowering seniors to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Programs are offered free of charge in a safe, welcoming space and focus on fellowship, enrichment and wellness, continuing education and meeting basic needs through offerings such as daily hot lunch, health screenings, and counseling services. So whether you're looking for referrals to services or a vibrant place to make friends, enjoy community support, or learn something new, Collier Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center is your Collier Senior Center. To learn more about programs and services, please visit collierseniorresources.org. That's collierseniorresources.org, or call the Senior Center directly at 239- 252-4534. 252 4534.
0: That's 252 3534. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Among other things, providing policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work, you can find out more by visiting the very robust website vfga.org. Coming up, going to visit with Larry Reed, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author; he's written several books, mainly about past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of very robust multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. It's great for kids of all ages. HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, and Mark. Multiple
1: so, <laughs> okay. I can hear you got the multimedia thing going right there. And you, and you, <laughs> so, Mark, uh, let's start off with what's happening in the Olympics. This is not certainly hasn't been a good PR experience for the for the, uh for the Olympics. The Chinese, so, for the no, Chinese. Olympics mostly.
2: I mean, listen, the Olympic Committee, I mean, it's absurd. This is the fact that they they had the Summer Olympics in China uh, only a short while ago, Now the Winter Olympics there. Clearly, Olympics should not be taking place there. Certainly not, not so often. And uh, you know, the Olympic Committee really needs to stop putting the Olympics in places where everyone's going to feel comfortable and safe at. Yeah. Um, You know they're doing, I guess, a good job in terms of, uh, terms of COVID. I mean, China has this COVID zero policy, and um, they're the only people in the world who who are doing it. And the question is, can they keep this up for for how long? They can keep it up, but the other areas, you know, we've seen cases where uh, people have tried to criticize the Chinese, and of course, they're, they're, they're shut down immediately. It's a very problematic situation. You have a, you know, also there are clear reports that the uh, the app that everyone has to use um, during the Olympics is also bugged, and so they can hear everything and you do on your phones and everything else because of that. You talk to to journalists; they have um, burned computers and burned phones. They're using yeah. So and this is not the way you should be going to an Olympic. Let's put it that way.
1: Well, and plus they have isolation, isolation of, uh, quarantine of athletes who've uh, tested positive. And it turns out the reports are coming in that they're in just disastrous situation. There, the food is uh, unacceptable. The conditions are unacceptable. And of course, that's all getting out on, on world news as well.
2: Right. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, they're being served by robots. I mean. <laughs> Some, something to be said for that, but we're probably a little bit early for all of that. Let's yeah. put it that way.
1: So, is this, is uh, it's been curious to me. Uh, you're saying that you have the zero case policy, but is there perhaps a new strain that's out in China uh, that's affecting the Olympics?
2: Not that we know of. Um, you know, it's really just a question of that they're trying to keep the Olympics the completely outside of their own population so it's not to in- infect. Chinese population at all, because people are coming from all over the world and bringing mostly Omicron. Uh Um, We don't know. There are rumors. You know, the problem is we just don't know so much about what's going on in China these days on so many different levels. You know, it's almost back to the days of communist China when it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, totally impenetrable and businessmen didn't go. But now people haven't gone there now for two years. They've been closed to foreign visitors almost completely.
1: Yeah. It's so and, interesting, um,
2: and this is a period where, quite clearly, uh, Xi and the Chinese Communist um, Party have used COVID to really um, strengthen their own hold on power.
1: Power. You know, I just really, Mark, I, I worry about our athletes getting home safely. Quite frankly, I just uh, there's to your point of just a lot of concerns about what's going on over there, and uh, you know, I hope that if all's well that ends well, I hope they get home safely and without disease.
2: Yeah, then I'm I'm less worried about that, per se. I'm just, you know, generally speaking, it's just a terrible place to be at the moment. Yeah. A terrible place to have Olympics. Yeah. I mean, the the, the Japanese were careful, too, don't forget, but not to this level, obviously. Yeah. And, um, you know, they meet planes with hazmat suits on. You know, I can't imagine arriving somewhere and people are all greeting you with hazmat suits. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't exactly fill you with a sense of, you know, ah, yeah. so nice to be here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah and well it, and unfortunately the uh, just on another note uh, there's the number of countries that are participating in the limits has dr- reduced drastically i think there's now only 70 countries that are participating and furthermore the uh, viewership on te- television is way down so i'm sure that's kind of a financial disaster as well
2: Right well you know part of the reason of course is the time difference we've always seen that the olympics that take place in hours that Americans can't watch anything close to in prime time. Yeah, viewership uh, viewership goes way down. And the other part is people people are tired. We just had the Summer Olympics. The Winter Olympics never get quite the viewership. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. All of us, everybody swims. Everyone does a lot of the things that are in the Summer Olympics we all do. Not not not, not to any sort of Olympic level, but but the. Um, Winter Olympics. Maybe a lot of us might ski, but that's about it. Yeah, Mark. You know, I, I think I, I think
1: a lot of people are are, and I'll include myself in this. Are just have a disdain for the communist Chinese uh, uh, Communist Chinese Party, and uh, quite frankly, uh, just like I didn't want to watch professional football for quite a while, I I frankly have a little bit turned off by the Olympics. I think the real stat's been turned down by the American people as a result.
2: Oh, absolutely. There's no question. Look, the the level of <laughs> concern about china at this point in the united states and the rest of the world is very high yeah so yes it absolutely has an impact there's no question about it on the other hand let's keep in mind that you're often watching to cheer uh team usa right so let's not let's not forget that part of it yes you you know you may have had your own opinion about the nfl and all those sort of things but but those were all of them here you have you know, Team USA, you know, competing. Yeah, and we should cheer them on.
1: Yeah, good point. Good point. So let's move to uh, the Ukraine and the dust up that's going on over there. Kind of confusing, uh, confusing things and messages coming out about the uh, Ukraine. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, first of all, I don't expect anything that will happen until after the uh, Olympics are over. Mm-hmm. Uh, Putin needs Xi as a friend, and she would not. A- Appreciate whatever coverage the Olympics getting disappearing because Putin decides to invade Ukraine. Um, I frankly think he's going to do it. Um, he's going to figure um, that for all the pain it's going to suffer, he'll have Ukraine, and that's what he really wants. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to write up in history about the fact that the the Russian people had a difficult couple of years because of sanctions. They'll rank up the fact that. Uh, Russia has reunited uh, its former part uh, of Ukraine. Of course, it may not be that easy, and there may be guerrilla warfare, and there are all sorts of possibilities. Yeah, um, I find it interesting that the far right and the far left in the United States both agree with each other relating to Ukraine. Yeah, both calling for the United States not to do things that worsen the situation. Um, I think Elon Omar said, uh, "You know, don't send arms because you're going to." militarize Ukraine and don't do sanctions because it hurts the people. Um, and Ben and Jerry's did something similar. And then you have Car- Tucker Carlson and some others on the other side saying more or less the same thing, which is really kind of disturbing that, that the, the far right and the far left seems to agree on this topic.
1: Um, yeah. So and then Milley, uh, his statement was that he expects to have within 72 hours war in the Ukraine with the loss of 40,000 people, uh, uh, and uh, Russians and uh, loss of uh, Ukraine troops. So uh, it seems to me that uh, maybe that would be part of the military establishment, trying to stir things up, and perhaps there's people on the far right and left who are trying to settle things down. The president of the Ukraine basically is saying, hey, there's nothing here.
2: No, he's not really saying there's nothing here. He said let's not talk so much about war because it's hurting our economy. Ah. He's not saying there's nothing here. No, No one is saying there's nothing here. The Russians keep on pouring more troops into the border, um, more and more divisions are moving into place. So there's clearly something here. There's no reason for them to do this. Uh, is Putin trying to get some sort of concessions that he won't normally get? Maybe by doing this, is he using it as? But I, I really think he's going to do it. I'm afraid he's going to do it. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way.
1: So there's another story that's uh, circulating that uh, he's actually only interested in one and I forgot the name of the sliver of uh the Ukraine and uh that that he would be satisfied by just taking that portion of the Ukraine and, and leaving the rest alone.
2: Yeah, not likely. If he's he's going to go in, he's going to go in. He has enough troops to go in all the way at this point. Hmm. Look, he is evil. Let's, you know, let's understand that. Hmm. Uh he's a dictator who stamped out any form of dissent in when in Russia, it was starting to be a nascent democracy before he came along. Mm-hmm. Um, he has uh, imprisoned, sent to the gulags anyone who opposes him. Um, there's no difference between him and some of the worst dictators in history, other than the fact that he's you know not killing millions at the moment.
1: Right. Um, well, what do you so, make of what do you make of the fact that uh, Russian pro- President Vladimir Putin and Xi uh, Jinping? had a joint statement, issued a joint statement prior to the Olympics. I think it was on Friday, maybe ahead of the opening ceremony. Yeah,
2: absolutely, because they are two two peas in a pod, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Both of them are dictators. Both of them are not interested in democratic ideas uh, becoming part of the culture of their countries. Both of them see the United States as some sort of a, um, not quite an enemy, but as a country that they have to Um, as a rival, for sure, if not more than that. The Chinese are more intertwined with the United States in terms of the economy, obviously. Um, So they have a lot in common. Also, um, the the president of Pakistan just went to uh, Russia for the first time since 2018, not 18,
0: 2008.
2: Hmm. So Russia is trying to shore up all of its flanks right now. Um, Look, I... Like I said, I expect them to attack him. Maybe not. Hopefully, not. Um, but what do you think the, consequence... the way to stop him.
1: Yeah. What do you think the consequence will be if he does?
2: Severe economic sanctions. Um, but you know, the problem, of course, being that Europe is is dependent on um, on Russian gas at the moment. We're, we're in the middle of the winter mm-hmm. still. Um, you know, as, as we get closer to the spring their leverage goes down a little bit. I know the Europe is trying to work out some deals with Qatar and UAE for natural gas shipments, but it's much it's much more difficult to get liquefied natural gas as it is to just have a pipeline.
1: Interesting. Um
2: so it's gonna be difficult. Um and, you know, eventually the sanctions will people get weary of the sanctions and eventually they'll be removed and Putin will still have Ukraine. If it, and you know, the only possibility is, a, he finds the going much tougher than everyone expects. that The Ukrainian army fights uh, a better battle. Um, they're starting to get some advanced arms from the United States that could make a difference. Um, and they're getting arms from Poland and other other European countries at the moment. That could make a difference. They're also they're not a small armed forces, mind you.
1: Right, and they're they're uh, good fighters too. Ukraine's uh, kinda... got right a history of so that,
2: you know the the problem is you know their air force isn't up to the standards of the Syrian air force the Syrian air force has had lots of excuse me, the Syrian about the, the Russian air force which was about to say has had lots of practice bombing hospitals and other things in Syria the last uh, 5 years so you know they're really good at at bombing civilian targets the Russian air force and I'm sure they'll use their experience Mm-hmm. To good measure.
1: So speaking speaking of which it, it, this is a little off topic but I, very interesting to me is that the EU issued a statement saying that they now consider nuclear as well as natural gas to be part of the green movement. This is a big change obviously because uh, the energy prices have just escalated and they've had brownouts and so forth. So uh this is a, with a lot uh, against uh, resistance from a lot of parties the far left. But uh, any, any well, thought... look
2: the biggest mistake that, that Germany made was closing its nuclear plants
1: yeah they
2: wouldn't be dependent on Russian um on Russian fuel if they hadn't closed the nuclear plants for generating electricity yeah uh so yes listen the the only solution in the short term to the issue of uh, where, however you want to define the cause of global uh, global warming but carbon emissions and everything else related to that Is nuclear power? Yeah, because everything else just is going to take too long. It's not, you know, it doesn't work at night. Uh, There may eventually be solutions, mind you.
1: How about natural gas?
2: Is a a proven technology that works.
1: Yeah. How about natural gas?
2: hmm?
1: How about natural gas, Mark?
2: Natural gas is limited, and there is also emissions from natural gas. Nuclear is the cleanest energy there is, uh, without a doubt. Yeah. Look, there've been. Um, three cases of nuclear um, accidents in the world since the 1950s. We had the, the biggest and greatest one being Chernobyl, which was an outdated plant, The poor design, Russian design, Russian design's nuclear plants never been very good. And that, of course, was a catastrophic meltdown. We had Three Mile Island, which was really very minimal. Um, no loss of life, uh, no real radi- radiation, radiation. Ex- um, escaped, and then of course we have uh, Fukushima, which was because of the um, earthquake and the t- tsunami and everything that's related to that. Um, that was the only one where a relatively modern plant we saw what could happen. Right, and so, but again, that plant was also twenty-five years old, thirty years built, built on the, on, on the first generation of technologies. Yeah, we have newer and better technologies, and I look at a different position. I look at the U.S. Navy. The U.S. Navy, since the Nautilus that was launched, I think, in 1954, if I'm not mistaken, has been running its submarine fleet, all with nuclear reactors, as well as all of its uh, aircraft carriers. We currently, I think, have 11 active carriers, and of course, two or three have already nuclear carriers have already been mothballed. Um, so the reality is they, they've gone all those years, and there hasn't one accident yep. in the U.S. Navy.
1: Yep. Amazing. So yeah, thanks for that update. Uh, so definitely you're a proponent of uh, nuclear, and I think I, Very I, much so. I I agree with that 100%. Moving to another topic, uh, ISIS apparently has had a, a recent attack. Maybe you can tell us about it.
2: Well, it's more importantly what the United States has done. Uh-huh. We went in and killed the leader, the new, newest leader of ISIS in what seems to be a near-perfect um, commando raid in North West Syria, I guess it is, near the Turkish Turkish-controlled area. Um, U.S. commandos went in, surrounded the house. He blew himself up, unfortunately, and killed his family with him. Um, but we took him off the board. And we, uh, an action where no U.S. troops were killed or, I don't think, wounded. Um, and where they went in the ground. In other words, it wasn't a drone strike that might have killed all sorts of innocents. U.S. troops went in on the ground, successfully carried out the mission, um, and another head of ISIS, you know, the third in a row, has basically um, been killed by the United States.
1: Yeah, that's good, good um, news indeed.
2: So, yeah, definitely.
1: Something to celebrate. ISIS is still there. Yeah.
2: You know, they're going to keep on. They may not have a physical state, but they're still there. They're still causing difficulties. We saw what happened about two weeks ago, which was probably the reason we took. We had the raid was when they um, took over the prison and freed their prisoners. And it took a combined effort of um, the Kurds and uh, both in Syria and Iraq to recapture the prison and and. take care of that location. But ISIS is very much alive.
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, Mark, I'd like to ask you, uh, maybe this is uh, early on, so early on, that we don't really have uh, any information about this, but apparently a couple of new strains of uh, the coronavirus have developed, one that involves AIDS and one that is a, uh, a spinoff from uh, the uh, Omicron. Uh, any thoughts? Or
2: Well, look, the problem is these things keep on coming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and some are going to be, some are going to be worse, and some are going to be better. Um, until the whole world is vaccinated, and a, and a better vaccine, let's put it that way. I mean, this vaccine is very, very good, but it obviously has a limited shelf life. Um, until that happens, these these strains keep on coming. And look, the U.S. has a death rate of 2,500 a day at this point. Mm-hmm. Like the cases are starting to drop rapidly, but the deaths are always a Lagging indicator. Uh, when we think about it, nine hundred thousand Americans have died from from COVID in the last two years. In the world, I think we're at about four million people. Um, so we have to be vigilant of, of additional strains. We need to figure out a way. You know, it's like you know the saying: we can't have to live with it, and um, and that's very true. But we also have to find the way of um, early warnings, and you know. God forbid we should have a strain that is as um, transmittable as Omicron and as uh, lethal as Delta. Mm-hmm. And um, thankfully, that hasn't happened yet. But you know, the fear is it could be even more something could be even more lethal. We don't know what the origins are. Um, it's one of the big mysteries. Maybe someday we'll know. Was it in a lab? Was it a bat? We don't know.
1: Yeah. Um, well, not to extend that conversation, before I let you go, I do want to ask, today is the anniversary of the develop, of the start of the EU in 1992, the European Union. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on where we stand today in the EU and uh, its progress or lack thereof. Well,
2: okay, so let's keep in mind the fact that the EU is built on top of what was used to be called the common market. And that was created in the 50s as a means of economic development in Europe. Mm -hmm. And it was tremendously successful. Um, It was primarily amongst all those countries that received uh, U.S. Marshall Aid, the Marshall Plan, going back in history. I actually just wrote that up again for my world history timeline of Europe. And we go back and see the state of Europe in 1946, 47, and the fear of communism and literally cold winters Um, freezing winters. People were beginning to starve. As um, one American official said, people in the cities of Europe are slowly starving. Then came the Marshall Plan. Mm -hmm. uh, $14 billion, which today is something like $200 billion in today's dollars, given uh, to Europe, Europe, uh, no strings attached, and it was able to pull Europe out of the poverty and the hunger of the end of World War II, post World War II, and start rebuilding the European economies. But they created a common market so that trading could be easy between the different countries. You don't have tariffs, all of those things. That evolved into into what's called the European Union. The European Union is this hybrid, an attempt to be like the um, the United States of Europe, and mm-hmm. uh, thinking of the nations as states, but not quite because they don't have the same common history that the United States has had the various states despite differences between states and the United States, um, there really isn't a national identity that's very different and other than the Civil War, you know California never went to war with Oregon or you know et cetera etc, cetera, all those type of things. Mm-hmm. So there's always been that and people maintaining some of their national identity, younger people, if you do a survey of younger people, people under the age of 30, if you ask them what's their nationality, the first thing they'll say is European, Hmm. and then they'll say uh, French, or Dutch, or German, or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. People above 30, the first thing they'll say is, I'm German, and I'm French, I'm you know whatever it might be. Hmm. Um, So, uh, it's been a lot of progress. It may have gone it when it created one currency, because it limited countries in the, in the union the ability to fight inflation or the, or a recession differently, because not all of the European economies are are the same. Right. And as we've seen, some of them have been in difficult situations, while others are doing perfectly well. And by having one common currency, it's limited the tools that are, exist in order to improve that country that's
1: in particular problem. So, Mark, uh, we're going to have to leave it there, unfortunately. I would love to extend the conversation, but we're out of town. need to move on. But I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, uh, Mark's uh, website, HistoryCentral.com. I hope you'll check it out. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. You you as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
2: Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more, especially about the new 44,000-square-foot uh, performing arts center being built in downtown Naples you go to golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education.
3: Okay. We're an educational foundation headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. Our focus is on young people of high school and college age. And we inspire and educate them in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, private property, and personal character. And we do that through uh, online uh, events such as lectures and web- webinars, our uh, very robust website at fee.org, and also uh, through in-person events all over the country and sometimes uh, abroad.
1: You know, I think we have a dearth of economic education in our country, especially in our public schools. And if you know somebody at high school or college age, I certainly hope you'll uh, introduce them to FEE.org, a great organization and uh, providing great tools for young people to understand uh, how to navigate uh, their lives economically. So, Larry, you wrote a column, uh, Count on Ukraine to Fight Russia, and you certainly have some uh, background in this. Maybe you can tell us about it.
3: Okay. I have been to Ukraine. In fact, I participated in a demonstration in Kiev way back in 1991. Hmm. It was a demonstration of the so-called Ruk organization, which was uh, demanding independence from the Soviet Union. And that, of course, happened just a few months later in December of 1991. And for the first time in 100 years, Ukraine was uh, free of um, Russian domination. Now uh, we're back to the point where it seems at any moment uh, Vladimir Putin could invade. He certainly has the troops and the equipment mm-hmm. uh, massed along the border ready to do it. Um, my first thought is, you know, why can't these uh, characters who get themselves into positions of power ever learn the lesson of leaving people alone? I mean, Putin is claiming that there is some threat from NATO to Russia But anybody in his right mind, and certainly his uh, close advisors, ought to be telling him that NATO is not poised for an invasion of Russia. Right. Um, And the guy's got 11 or 12 time zones already. How much much more land and uh, time zones uh, does he need?
1: Right. Not only that, but the nuclear missiles and the protection that he has, I mean, the, the threat that he has to other countries. So. Uh, It it really is extraordinary. I'm wondering, though, and uh, you'd be a good source of information on this, uh, Ukraine has, I'm going to call it a more democratic government than, say, Russia, but my understanding is very corrupt. What are your thoughts?
3: Well, it certainly was, I I think, uh, more than it is today under President Zelensky. uh, And since uh, about 2013 or 14, Ukraine has cleaned up its act. And that's largely because of the uh, uh, protests in the streets, the popular uprising that we saw less than a decade ago. Um, So, uh, you know, while it was thoroughly corrupt, it seems just a few years ago, I think things are better today.
4: Hmm.
3: And um, certainly this government in Ukraine has more popular support than the previous uh, and very obviously corrupt one.
1: Well, that's good to hear uh, and good to know. So uh, your uh, column talks about the fact that uh, Ukraine will fight. Maybe you could give us a little background on why you think they'd be a a pretty difficult uh, task for the uh, Russians to invade.
3: Yeah. Well, the history in the last century or so uh, of Ukrainian-Russian relations uh, really is, uh, is pretty dismal. Uh, after the Bolshevik Revolution in 19, Lenin uh, effectively declared war on Ukraine and subjugated it, uh, killed uh, thousands of, of freedom fighters, and Ukraine was uh, forcibly incorporated into the Soviet Union until it collapsed in 1991. It's been independent since. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, when Putin moved on Crimea, Crimea and took that chunk of Ukraine and then some of the uh, southeastern areas as well just uh, seven or eight years ago, uh, Ukraine has uh, beefed up its defenses. Uh, It has more reason than ever to resist Soviet or Russian oppression, I should say. And uh, right now uh, there are 11 million firearms in uh, Ukrainian hands, and about 40 percent of them are owned privately. And people are training uh, to deal with any kind of uh, incursion Putin might uh, might mount. They're not going to roll over. If he does invade, there'll be a lot of bloodshed and a protracted uh, guerrilla conflict, I'm sure, against the Russians for a long time.
1: You say 11 million uh, firearms and uh, a population of how many people?
3: Uh, as I recall, it's in a neighborhood of 20 million.
1: Uh-huh. So, uh, they, so we, you could probably say that all, most households have a firearm. They're, they're protecting themselves.
3: Yeah, I think so. Uh, and uh, my guess is that in the recent weeks, uh, that figure probably has uh, increased dramatically because uh, of all this tension.
1: Yeah. Well, so interesting. And uh, out of curiosity, do you maintain relationships uh, with, with folks in the Ukraine?
3: Yes, I do. Yes, I have friends there, and I have done uh, some webinars uh, uh, for Ukrainians in the last couple of years. Um, so I do stay in touch, although it's not with large numbers of people.
1: Yeah, it's just so interesting. Again, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Again, if somebody uh, age college age or high school age in your life, uh, introduce them to this great organization, the Foundation for Economic Education. Fee.org, F E -E E.org. Larry, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Hey, thank you, Bob. Quick correction, by the way Ukraine's population is about 44 uh, million people.
1: All right. Thank you for that, Larry. Appreciate (laughs) it. All right. Coming up, uh, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, That and More, right here on the Bob Hardin Show on the Bob Hardin Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help.
0: back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. We have with us Jim McTagg. As I mentioned before the break, he's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's retired into a life of leisure and writing. (laughs) Jim, his latest two books are Follow the Leader and Shake the Money True, True Great Murder Mysteries with the Locus of Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. Jim, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you. I'm I'm chuckling about a life of leisure because, as you know, when you retire, um, people— uh, begin to uh, contact you to use you for free so so for example uh, my my university has me working as an editor for uh, for business case studies and uh, i i belong to a club and they've recruited me to uh, contribute to their magazine every month and, and plus i'm i'm writing novels so uh, you know it's the old uh, saw uh, how did i ever get anything Anything, anything done, done yeah, when but you, I was
1: working, you know, Jim. That's it's great that folks have, place a value on your contribution. I mean, I think that's important to stay involved. So I think that's a, even though it's a it's a, in some ways a burden. You got deadlines and all the things that you used to deal with. It's also you're involved. Uh,
4: yes, yes. So and it's flattering. Hey, you know, I, uh, I subscribe to four newspapers and I, I read others online that are free. Right. And a friend of mine. Uh, who, who just passed away, a retired Marine Corps colonel named Jim Bracken, who became a, a, a wildly successful businessman in Washington, DC, uh, told me to start reading Politico Playbook. It's a free newsletter they put out every day. I have to tell you, it's one of the most informative reads of the morning for me, because I'm so interested in politics. And they have a fascinating uh, piece uh, with this guy named Doug Sosnick of Brunswick Group. Uh, Sosnick was an advisor to Bill Clinton. Hmm. And he's talking about, um, you know, what has to happen for the Democrats to win the midterm elections, which to everybody, including Democrats at this point, seems like uh, a virtual impossibility. Sure, And it's kind of funny, the things, it, it shows you how deep the whole, is that the Democrats have dug for themselves. So, for example, number one is the virus needs to be contained with the country returning to a new normal. Now, I see the country returning to a new normal. I call it the Florida plan. I see it around me and in other places where people are fed up with the lockdown. Yeah. And, and, you know, the Democrats have branded themselves as the, as the party of uh, lockdowns and restrictions. Right. And and not only in this country. I mean, the protests in Canada reflect protests that we saw in Europe. People want to be free. right? And uh, so, um, you you know, I don't think the Democrats can win with the virus. And then number two is inflation needs to start going down by summer. That's not going to happen because (laughs) – of the easy money policies of the Fed and and the federal government. I mean, strike you can't two, huh? Unwind that stuff
1: in a couple months. Yeah, strike two, indeed. I mean, and, and in fact, in fact, if the Omicron, if the virus goes down, that'll be coincidence, not cause and effect by the Democrat Party.
4: Well, plus and- you know inflation, even if it starts to moderate, the prices on the shelves don't moderate because right. uh, the companies that raise prices are not going to retreat. so so that paychecks are going to continue to look smaller right uh, and people are going to be unhappy absolutely and then, and then the third thing they say that needs to happen is the economy and the stock market need to maintain steady growth. Well the stock market, I, you can't link it to the economy it's really two different things exactly the stock market is a it's pretty much a, a guessing game a gambling game trying to predict what the economy will do uh in the future and it's pure witchcraft because nobody can predict the future you know i i think we're going to have a very volatile stock market we're out the summer with the, you know big ups and big downs until just before the midterm elections when voters assume either rightly or wrongly that the GLP will be better for business and then, and then we'll have a rally that's my prediction and and by the way i i didn't graduate from hogwarts so i'm not a wizard um but the um, you know for the, for the democrats to be banking on the stock market is a, is a joke and, and then uh, number four is the supply chain ret- needs to return to normal. Uh, that's not going to happen by summer. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen by uh, election time. You know, that's going to take a couple years to iron out. And and uh, number five is there is not a global crisis. Now, I happen to believe that the public right now is really underestimating the uh, dangers we're facing, especially in, in Ukraine. And, I have no confidence at all in Biden. I mean, this is the man whose Afghanistan evacuation was an unmitigated disaster. Right. And to suspect that he can play chess with uh, Putin is uh, a stretch. So so, I fear that this uh, invasion of Ukraine could lead to a uh, much broader conflict. You know, mistakes will be made. I mean, maybe the Russians will fly some jets over Poland by mistake and will shoot them down. You know, who knows what events will unfold? Uh, but that's not going to happen either.
1: And, and well, hey, hey, let let, let me let me add this, and this wasn't on your list, but it's one that I thought of. And frankly, somehow, some way. Biden's popularity will improve, and I don't think that's going to happen. Actually, I think actually it's going to get actual worse. Uh, just yeah, to your point you with, know, the, with the with uh, the Ukraine and everything's going on, it's just fraught with opportunities for him to screw up.
4: Yeah, you're very prescient because number six on this list is his job of in the high forties, and to your point, not going to happen. And <laughs> then seven is Republicans need to nominate unelectable general election candidates. Um, well you know it's the voters that pick the candidates not the party now here in Pennsylvania we have two two carpetbaggers running who are just uh, awful I mean we have uh, dr. Oz right who I think who I think is a clown right he's pouring millions and he he's uh, he lives in New Jersey's lived there for years uh, but Pennsylvania has a, a weird law where people from out of state can come come in and run for Senate uh, and, and then there's a guy David McCormick who who, is probably more acceptable. He's a hedge fund executive, but he's lived in Connecticut for, for decades. Right. So for, for them to presume, I mean, I've just moved back to Pennsylvania in May, and I wouldn't presume to be able to represent the people here. I'm learning new things about my new neighbors every day, and, it's a, and after living inside the beltway for 30 years, I'm in a different culture, and it's more reflective of the actual United States than inside the beltway.
1: Yeah, I must. So, I must say, Jim. I mean, I found this conversation to be extremely reassuring because the things that you say that must happen in order to elect Democrats in the midterms it just ain't gonna happen. It, it puts a smile on my face. Again, Jim McDeg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief, and check out "Follow the Leader" and its sequel, "Shake the Money Tree." Two great murder mysteries, Jim. I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow we'll can visit with Kathleen Pasadoma, our uh, state senator. We'll also visit with Boo Mortensen. Seton Motley is the founder of President of Less Government, and Linda Harden, my wife, will, will join us as well. Always appreciate her up to date commentary that she gleans mainly from social media. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.